Hi, I'm Stacy. I love chatting about how to find our callings, preferably cozied up with steaming beverages in a coffee shop. You can connect with me on social media at Stacy Summerow and subscribe to StacySummerow.com for a free discernment packet called How to Make the Right Choice. God's adventure awaits, my friend, and I am thrilled you're on the journey with me. Hi there. Thank you so much for tuning in to Called and Caffeinated today. I'm really excited to bring you this very practical episode on building virtuous habits with Dr. Andrew Whitmore. He is a professor of theology at Christendom College, and he's a dear friend of our families. He's actually the godfather of my my sweet little new baby, Michael. And there's so much good stuff in this episode. I think you're just going to love it. Since it's been a little while and my episodes have been more sporadic over the last well, honestly, the last two years. Um, But since especially lately, the episodes have been more sporadic, I just wanted to start out with a little update, a couple updates on my life. The first one is um, the bad news, I guess, was my daughter, Honora, had a very extended seizure last month. It was an hour long. It was a febrile seizure induced by a fever that was brought about by RSV. And there was nothing we could really do about it. She spiked a very high fever and just went into a seizure. So that was terrifying. If you've been following my journey, you know that my family has been through a lot taking care of Nora. She has um, quite a number of special needs, and she had a very extended 126-day NICU stay when she was born. So she's our little miracle baby, but we could just use some prayers for her continued health because this very, very extended seizure brings up a whole new host of questions about her trajectory and her health and what we can expect for her future. So just pray for us, please. I feel like there's a blog post in there that's that's waiting to come out, but It's just a question of sitting down and finding time because my life is crazy with four children. Um, The very good update that I have for you is that my family has bought five acres and we are building our home this year. Yesterday was the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker, May 1st, and we consecrated the project to him. That was the official date when we decided to move forward with the home build. So we would appreciate your prayers. I feel like there's going to be more content coming about homesteading and about where John and I have been feeling called. The NICU changed a lot of things for me, and I think that was really the beginning of this homesteading dream. So I have a lot to share coming up, and just pray that I find time to share it because it's always hard um, when you don't have synchronized nap time for your children. But I'm so excited to, to build our new house, so we ask for your prayers for this new project, which is just so exciting and has just been on my heart for so long. I also wanted to share that for the month of May, I released a new candle dedicated to the Blessed Mother. If you've been following my episodes lately, you know that I've been making handmade beeswax uh, prayer candles, and we have a whole line of them. I sell them on the Catholic All Year Marketplace. I know they've brought a lot of people joy, and this most recent candle for the Blessed Mother is lavender and clary sage and uh, bergamot and black tea. It's got all of these kind of really complex scents mixed in. It is just an absolute delight. It's it's when you smell it, it reminds you of so many things, but at the same time, you can't quite put your finger on it. I love candles that can do that. And each part of the scent represents some aspect of the Blessed Mother. So I think you'll want to check it out maybe for yourself, for your family, for the the rosary time, or maybe as a gift. It would make a fantastic gift. And it's called Magnificat, which of course is um, Mary's very famous prayer that she said when she was meeting with St. Elizabeth as she was pregnant with with Jesus. And we are all called to make our lives a Magnificat, a manifestation of God's glory. So 
I am going to leave a link in the show notes if you want to check that out, as well as all of the other candles and the new tallow lotion bars that I'm also selling for Catholic all year. It's such a great outlet for me and such a a wonderful source of income for my family. So thank you in advance for supporting my ministry. Okay, so let us get to our episode with Dr. Andrew Whitmore. Here he is. Dr. Whitmore, welcome to Calm and Caffeinated. Thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Happy to be here. You drove a long way to come to this interview. It was he trekked across the entire world. It was a whole half mile from his house to get here. Yeah, only half mile away, but I went the whole world to get here. <laughs> I don't know why I took the wrong turn. Yeah, you'd think you'd know the route by now. <laughs> um, for the purposes of our interview, it feels weird calling you Dr. Whitmore, although you are a doctor of moral theology at Christendom College. and uh, But you're such a close friend of the family. I'll just call you Andrew if that's yeah. okay. Yeah. So how many years have you taught at Christendom? This is my fifth year. Yeah, that's amazing. Time just flying by. You get a sabbatical soon, right? Yeah, year seven, so coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife has plans for that. <laughs> I've heard, I've heard. So his wife, Shannon, is also going to be an author yes. coming up this spring. Yes, with Ascension Press as well. Really yeah. exciting. And I can't wait to have her on the podcast as well. And you guys, this is, oh, I should introduce the lump under the blanket. This is Michael, and he is making his star appearance, so you'll hopefully not hear too much of him. <laughs> no offense, sweetheart. Um... And yeah, so you guys are actually Michael's godparents, which is amazing. We're very excited to baptize him next next week. Coming soon. Yeah, that's true. So let's get into our interview. First of all, I I have to ask you the question because I ask it of all my guests. What are you drinking? Well, I've only been on the show now for less than two minutes, but I also I already um, have committed a heresy. You have. Because this is not coffee. This is water. <laughs> Very disappointed in you. If you could just convert real quick to being a coffee drinker. Well, I'm drinking it from be a mug because uh, one of the first strategy in my book is fake it till you make it. Right. So maybe if I start drinking water from a mug, then eventually I want coffee from a <laughs> mug. That's exactly. You're training yourself towards virtue, which is drinking coffee. Um, and that's why the show is named what it is. So no, no more defense of why coffee is virtuous is necessary, I think. Um, self-evident. Self-evident, exactly. It's just, you know, it's it's true. What do they call it? Um, undeniable truth. Um, oh, brother, you're the professor here. What do they I call it? I would just it? say self-evident. I don't well, know. N- uh, natural law. Oh, there we go, yeah. It's a natural law. Um, so can you show us your book? Because this yes. is the reason we're here, speaking of virtue. This is Saintly Habits. I'll have to have you interv- um, interview mine, <laughs> autograph mine, because it'll be a relic someday. But um, <laughs> it's <laughs> seven strategies from uh, St. Thomas Aquinas to grow in virtue. So um, Let me explain the cover real quick. So yeah. this is not a holy cow, right? I, one of my colleagues <laughs> said, my colleague saw it, said, holy cow. He was just joking. <laughs> um, awesome. It's a dumb ox. So Aquinas, when he was uh, in um, school, I think, mm-hmm. he was very large and very quiet. Very smart. So when they say dumb, they don't mean unintelligent. They mean mute, right? Not speaking. Mm-hmm. So he was called the dumb ox. So he waved an ox with a halo, crushing a snake, conquering that's, vice. That's pretty baller. I love that. Um, yeah. So and then inside is you give us a whole moral theology lesson. <laughs> Words. My daughter, when she saw the book, she looked at it. She said, "Oh wow!" And then like, "Ooh, picture daddy!" And then goes, "No pictures." <laughs> <laughs> She's four. She's. Uh, Besties with my four-year-old, which is awesome. That's so cute. She's like, no, later no pictures. then. One out of five. What? <laughs> the reviews are in. Sorry, Andrew. Um, but it's really good because I felt like as I was reading it that I got a moral theology lesson while I was also learning these very practical seven strategies. So highly recommend this book, especially if you don't have a solid like a Catholic school 
background or if you do but it wasn't a fabulous Catholic school and you want to go back and just learn the basics of moral theology, um, a, lot of, a lot of the book actually and a lot of Aquinas's um, strategies I think are based on very specific terms. I think with moral theology one of your strengths is being able to put things in boxes and use very specific terms to define things. So can we start off by just doing a few definitions for the sure. purpose of the yeah. interview. Cool. So can you define what virtue is? Sure, yeah. As Stacey was saying, the goal of the book, it's it's written for a popular audience and it's taking these, I mean, Aquinas is a little bit complex in reading mm -hmm. him, but trying to take it, bring it down for everybody to understand, but he will use these different terms. So virtue in general, when we hear virtue today, I don't know, we don't hear about it too much. Yeah. A lot of times it's just kind of these pious platitudes. Yeah. Patience is a virtue, or virtue is its own reward. Mm -hmm. what, do the, what does that even mean? Um, a virtue, simply put, is an excellent character trait. We could say it's a perfection of our human nature. Yeah. So when God creates us, he, he wants us to be excellent. He wants us to be happy. He creates us for himself. Virtue is just this um, perfection of character mm -hmm. where we're living out what he called us to be and, and what he... Um, has in mind for us, so living out according to our nature. Gotcha, yeah. And virtue is something that we can possess, right? Mm -hmm. I thought that was an interesting characteristic that you say you have a virtue, you've acquired it, and it's become part of you. Um, yeah, what, one thing that I think about um, when you say that they become platitudes, virtues aren't talked about very much, is the, the concept of like being nice versus being kind. Mm -hmm. I've started saying to my children, like, I want you to be kind to each other instead of just saying be nice to each other because nice is not, niceness is not a virtue. Um, so yeah, and there's a lot of ways too, I think our culture is getting it wrong as far as what actually is a virtue and what's not. Yeah. And this is jumping ahead a little bit for the questions I gave you, but I thought it was fascinating that Aristotle says that you, 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 Vicious people who do not have virtue think that they're right and they actually perceive virtue as a vice and vice is a virtue, um, which we'll get to more later. But um, could you define vice for us? Sure. If, if virtue is just an excellence of our character, then vice is going to be the opposite of that. And if virtue is this, really this, this integrity that um, what virtue does is it integrates the different aspects of our being. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we feel like we're at war with ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, I think all right, this is what I know I should do, but this is what I enjoy doing, and it's mm -hmm. different, and the will, our, our free choice kind of gets caught in the middle. I think it gets caught in a tug of war, yes. which way is going to go. Um, virtue really harmonizes all that. It brings together our mind, our free choice, our emotions all together so they serve one purpose. So vice is the opposite of that. Vice disintegrates us, right? It, it pulls us apart, it makes us fragmented, mm -hmm. which frustrates us ultimately. If, mm -hmm. if we're living in accordance with our nature, if we're acting virtuously, we're going to be happier, mm -hmm. at least in the sense of uh, fulfillment and contentment and wholeness. Yeah. Maybe not always uh, the feeling of happiness, hopefully mm -hmm. that'll be there, mm -hmm. but at least we'll have that um, fullness. Vice pulls us apart. Yeah, yeah, that deeper peace. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful to remember that like virtue isn't just something that we acquire for God or for others, but it's actually also really fundamentally for ourselves. Like it's going to make us happier in the end. Um, I think sometimes why virtue got a bad rap is just people started looking at it for some reason through the lens of obligation or just like a, a checklist or something. Yes. I need to get all these mm -hmm. or else I'm a sinner or something like that. Yes. Obviously we want to avoid sin, but the point of virtue is to just live a happy and good life. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So there's another distinction you make in your book, and I don't know if I've ever learned this before, but intellectual virtue, intellectual versus moral virtues. Mm -hmm. So those are two separate things, and if you could just explain those to us, that'd be sure. awesome. Sure. There's all different 
parts of our being. Um, but in terms of what we have some control over, I've already mentioned things like our thoughts, our free choices, our emotions. We can even talk about that later if you want. The emotions sometimes seems like we don't have control. Yes, that's a um, huge part. Yes, we, we will get to, to that, that later. A little teaser for you. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of the things that we do have control over, our thoughts, our choices, we can divide virtue into two different kinds because virtue is always going to be an, an excellence of our mm -hmm. being. But there's different ways we can be excellent. And so some are intellectual. You could have great knowledge. You could have great wisdom, great understanding. You mm -hmm. could have great skills, know mm -hmm. how to hit a home run, know how to change your oil on the car, all these different mm -hmm. skills. But you don't have to be good to have those, right? Those don't necessarily make you good. Right. So intellectual virtues, I think of the mad scientist, mm -hmm. where they have this great knowledge of biology, chemistry, whatever, but they can use it for evil. Right. which doesn't make you good. Whereas a moral virtue, it's going to be this, um, this habit, we could say, of our character, this character trait that um, not only helps us to consistently do the good, but in the very process of doing that, it makes us into good people. Mm. It makes us more perfect. Yeah, I think in the book you use the example of intellectual virtue being like going to a university, for example, and pursuing mm -hmm. knowledge, but that doesn't mean that everything you're learning, you're actually putting into practice. Yeah. You could you could learn all about, you could be a moral theologian and still be a very immoral person yeah, in practice. Sure. <laughs> and there have been moral theologians that I think, I don't know, maybe they learned it to just find the loopholes. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. I was thinking about making this whole interview just a you know, an analysis of your sure, personal moral character, <laughs> right, exactly. But I decided that maybe I'll let my husband John do that. He's gonna <laughs> Actually, my husband John is going to interview Andrew. They're very, very good friends. It might be all inside jokes. I have no idea what he has in mind, but he wanted to do a special interview for my patrons on my Patreon. So, um, you know, I guess this is the part where I tell you that there will be a link for my Patreon in the show notes below and whatever. So... Um, but moving back to theology, um, if you yeah, if you want access to that interview, you can join my Patreon site or whatever, um, if you feel like it. But I yeah, going back to to virtue, um, can you explain? This is something I've never thought of before. There's a lot of like charts in moral theology of like these are. Uh, this is how, where you put this thing into this box. And one way we can think of virtue as the mean between two extremes. Can you explain that? That's a kind of a new one for me. Yeah, so on the same note of virtue and vice, we said if virtue is this harmony of our being, bringing together our thoughts and our choices and our emotions, vice is disintegrating us, it's mm -hmm. separating all that. Well, there are different ways that that can happen. Yeah. And so the way that Aquinas, following Aristotle, will talk about virtues is it's a mean between two extremes. First of all, it's a mean. So mean, we think of it as an average. Mm -hmm. Here, when it comes to virtue, it's not always a mathematical mean. And this is one of the things that can be frustrating about virtue. We like black and white. Yes. We like just having an answer yes or no. With virtue, virtue is demanding. Virtue takes maturity, um, which we can all have, right? Yes. We're all called to that. Yeah. Um, nobody's excluded from that. But it is challenging. It's worthwhile. Yeah. I think anything worthwhile is going to be challenging. Yeah. But to find that average, it's really using your reason to figure out, okay, what is appropriate? What is the right action to do? And when we look Based at the right action... a specific situation, right? Exactly. Yeah. And this is why I can fluctuate, why it's not yeah. black and white. Yeah. Certain things are always excluded, right? I can yeah. never do certain things. Yeah. But yeah. Um, within the realm of what I can do, what is the best choice here? Well, you're going to have to consider who is it being done to, what's being done, where is it being done, when, why, right? All these different things. Yeah. So if that's what virtues, that virtues mean, that average... The vices are when you either exceed that or you don't meet it. 
Yes. So he calls it um, extremes of excess and deficiency. Would you mind giving an example of the mean between two extremes? Certainly. Uh, an example that I like to bring up a lot is uh, we can use courage. Everybody knows, well, everybody's heard of courage. Mm -hmm. What actually is courage? I've taught firefighters in the past. My father-in-law is a firefighter. And any firefighter will tell you that when they go into the fire, they're still afraid of the fire. Mm -hmm. They haven't eliminated that fear. A lot of times people, when they think of courage, they think it's you know, not having any fear, getting rid of that fear altogether. Mm -hmm. That's not actually what courage is. Courage is the proper moderation of fear. It's making sure that we have the right amount, a healthy amount. Yeah. We could go too far with that or we could not have enough. If the firefighter had no fear of the fire, that would almost seem inhuman. Mm -hmm. um, something's lacking actually in the person. Like, why aren't you? You should, this, this could actually endanger your life. If they had no fear, they might not test their equipment right, make sure that everything's all set. Yeah. But you could also have too much fear. So imagine the firefighter that won't go into a fire yeah. because they're so afraid of it. You have cowardice. So you'd have foolhardiness on one side, cowardice on the other. Um, mm -hmm. It's different ways of not meeting that virtue. So I'd say yeah. cowardice, it's excessive fear. You have too much fear. Mm -hmm. And so that prevents you from doing the thing that you should be doing. Whereas foolhardiness would be this lack of fear. You're mm. deficient in it. You don't have enough. And that also prevents you from doing the right thing. Now, sometimes um, you can get lucky with some of your vices and they can look like virtues. So, for example, if I, I have no training with fires. Mm -hmm. So if I'm just walking down the street and I see a burning building and I go, somebody might be in there. Let me go save them. Yeah. And I go in and I happen to save somebody. People will say, oh, you're a hero. Mm -hmm. But really, I got lucky. I was foolhardy because I don't have any training. I don't even know if somebody was in there. Yeah, I could right. just as easily gone in and died, burned to death, and then people would say, what an idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And sometimes you think you have a virtue and you actually don't. Yeah. Let's, let's address that real quick because that I related to that so much. When you gave the example of um, temperance, mm -hmm. you always thought you were a temperate person. Yeah. And then... Uh, this is like the story of my parenthood. I'm like, oh, I am such a kind person. What a great, you know, I think in my mind, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. But then um, parenthood just really shows me that I'm really not a good person like I thought I was. And now I need to grow in this virtue. So can you uh, speak to that example? That I remember really somebody telling me before I got married, they said marriage is like putting all of your faults under a magnifying glass. Yes. So I remember before I got married, I'm like, yeah, I'm a good person. Yeah, and then so I got great. married and I realized, well, I'm a selfish person. But if yeah. getting married is putting under the magnifying glass, then having kids is putting under the microscope. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, I am, I'm selfish. Um, yes. Yes. Just because just you never had anything, but anybody challenge you like that yeah. before. That's the only reason why you think you're great, because you've gotten a sleep and a shower and, you know, all the things are going well. And then when you don't have sleep and don't have a shower and don't have food and whatever, that's when you find out who you really are. Um, but it's good. I don't mean to scare my single listeners. <laughs> it is viewers, anything worthwhile challenging. Exactly. Exactly. So for you. It, um, this is one of the things that distinguishes a virtue from a skill. A skill mm -hmm. is good in a particular set of circumstances. Mm -hmm. It's only good to know how to knit if you need to knit. Yes. Right? It's only good to know how to cook if, if you have the opportunity to cook. But virtue is, is applicable everywhere. Yes. But that also is why sometimes we can be even deceive ourselves on whether or not we have a virtue. We might have a certain routine day in and day out. We're doing the same sort of things, going to work, you're at work, come home and get to this point where you're comfortable and you think, okay, I've made it. I'm mm -hmm. virtuous now. But then as soon as the circumstances change, you may find out, oh, okay, I might've had some aspect of virtue. I might be getting close, but now I realize I didn't actually have it. Yeah. Like, um, I remember 
praying for patience. <laughs> rookie mistake. That was a rookie no, move no, right there. Good. We should always be praying for our virtues. Never be trying on our own, but always be praying. Um, but God will give you opportunities. I thought he would yeah. just give it, right? He yeah, gives patience. just infuse it. Yeah. Um, instead, he gave opportunities for patience. Love so that. that's when I realized how much I needed patience. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, there's some great memes, internet memes about that. Yeah, that's right. So what would be the strategy that you would recommend for someone who's in this place of realizing maybe daily, like I do, that, you know, I need to grow in this virtue that I thought I had. That's one of the things that when I was writing this book, so it's seven different strategies for growing in virtue. And the idea is um, there's seven different ones, but you don't have to just pick one. Um, the idea is that, okay, here's, I'm going to present seven different strategies. Every chapter is a different strategy and also explains a different aspect of virtue. So by the time you've read it, you've got seven strategies and in a, I would say a comprehensive understanding of virtue. But the benefit is, you know, you don't just have to pick one. You can, you can try one. If that doesn't work, you've got another to try. I would also say bring some together. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. yeah so, no. So I, I want to see if you had something to say. Um, so I guess the point or the answer to your question is there's many different approaches you could take. So one approach is, and I would say no matter what, don't get discouraged. Mm -hmm. uh, virtue is a lifetime process. Yeah. We might reach virtue earlier in life, but even then there's still room for growth. Mm -hmm. We might reach it later in life. That's fine. It's all in God's timing. And that's the hardest part for us. Yeah. So I'd say no matter what, the first strategy is pray mm -hmm. to really put in God's hands. And he's more patient than we are. Amen to that. Yeah. He loves us more than we even love ourselves. So if we want virtue, he wants our virtue even more. Mm -hmm. If we want it now, he wants it even, you know, he wants it too, but he knows when it's best yeah. for us. And he wants to not just give us a shortcut, but to, us to really embody it. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing, always pray. But then a whole variety of strategies. Sometimes you can, people want to start big, and that yeah. works for some people. Yeah, that's overshooting the target, right? Is that the, or no, which one is that? Uh, yeah, overshooting the target. Okay, yeah. oh, that is So we can come back to that now if you want. Sure, let's do it. Let's talk about the overshooting the target one, because that, that goes hand in hand with the next strategy you described, which one might work for some people, yeah, one might work exactly. for other people. So yeah, I'd love to hear Overshooting the target, we need to explain it well, because it can be misunderstood. Mm -hmm. um, Aquinas, where he's getting it from is actually Aristotle. Aristotle used the example of a, a stick that's bent. And if you're going to bend it, or if you want to make it straight, you can't just make it straight. You've got to have to bend it the other way. Yeah. I would just break sticks when I bend them, but they must have had some way of wetting them. <laughs> Me too. I think of just my kids, you know, if they got books, they got trading cards, and they always bent them. Like, yes. Daddy, can you fix this? And it's like, all right. <laughs> you can't just rub it and straighten it. You've got to bend it the other way yes. in order to make it straight. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the idea. I call it overshooting the target. That if virtue is the target, mm -hmm. and we want to shoot for it, um, sometimes we actually don't see the target correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And so the strategy is to overshoot the target because you're likely not going to overshoot it. You're probably going to fall short and actually get right where you want. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that Aristotle says, and Aquinas follows him, that a lot of people, anyone who's vicious, mm -hmm. we always think we're right. Oh yeah. We always think we're right. <laughs> yeah. So anyone who's vicious thinks that they're actually virtuous. And so they will see virtue as one of those extremes, deficiency mm -hmm. or excess. So a good example is, I think, the culture. When we think of chastity as a virtue, you hear the word chastity and people get, you know, all bristly or whatever, mm -hmm. and they think, oh, it's just this list of no's. Chastity is this beautiful virtue of properly moderating our love and affection, mm -hmm. right? It's not just this whole list of no's. Of course, there are some way, things that we have to avoid in order to properly express our love, but it's also positive, right? How can I 
show my love and affection according to the relationship. It's really this power of freeing us to Mm. love well. Yeah, I love that. Um, But the society doesn't see it that way. So society tends to be lustful, which we would say is an excess of that desire, sexual desire. And um, because they're with the vice, they look at chastity and they say, oh, that's the deficiency, that's the vice. Right. Whereas we have the virtue and something beyond that is worse. Now, if, if you're that sort of person, and you're lustful, and you're struggling with lust, you want to become chaste, you might look at chastity and, and think it's prudishness, which mm-hmm. would be the deficiency. So, for you to actually become chaste, you have to overshoot the target, as it were. You have to do what you think is the opposite vice, what you think is prudish, yes. because it's not actually prudish. Right. You won't, because you're already on one extreme, you're not going to go all the way to the other extreme. Mm-hmm. And so, if you aim for that other extreme, what you're going to do is fall short of that extreme, you're going to fall into the virtue. The more you um, practice that virtue, the more it becomes second nature, the more you understand that, oh, this is actually right. And then you no longer see it as a vice, you see it as the virtue it is. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. And that takes self-knowledge that you have to know that your perception of what is Mm -hmm. uh, good is is kind of worked. So that does take a certain amount of self-knowledge for sure. Um, I love it. It's great. So that's overshooting the target. Um, and then for people who maybe have tried to make big changes yeah. like that, like I, not say that it all, well, it does require you to make a big change. It requires yeah. you to go farther than you think you need to. So for people who have maybe tried that and failed in the past, like there's a classic example of New Year's resolutions. Yeah. We all, you know, I, I think they said 80% of people fail at their New Year's resolutions by the end of January mm-hmm. or something like that, just because what you're trying to do is not palatable to you. There's no immediate reward. It's not incremental in many cases when you make a New Year's resolution, which it sounds like it would be for overshooting the target as well. As you really push yourself, it's like a marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, but if that's not working for you, what's, what's your next strategy to try? The big adjustments work for some people. They, they're motivated, they want to radically change their life. I'm sure Grace is involved there mm-hmm. and they're able to pull it off. But yeah. I, I know many examples in my own life where uh, it's not that easy. Yeah. I think of somebody, you know, maybe you have a New Year's resolution, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend an hour in adoration every day something mm-hmm. like that. And then when it comes down to it, you realize, wow, finding an hour in my day and I got to travel there. Well, I'll, yeah. I'll do it tomorrow. Right. And then I'll do it tomorrow. We keep putting it off. So the other strategy is take it slow, take mm-hmm. it small. Um, St. Therese is a, is a beautiful example of it's the amount of love with which we do things. It's not mm-hmm. that we do these great things, but do even the little things with great love. And that can actually help us grow in virtue faster. So taking maybe, okay, I can't, if I try to do the full hour of adoration, I, I keep failing at that. Well, yeah. what about just setting aside five minutes of prayer? Yes. And then adding to it. At a certain date, I'm going to up it to six minutes or up it to ten minutes or whatever it may yes. be. And you'll see the progress, as he said, that mm-hmm. incremental progress. You'll see yourself making progress. That helps to motivate you. Mm-hmm. And you're constantly pushing yourself. So eventually you do get to that end goal. And you can look back and see, wow, look how far I've come. Yes. I just did an episode about how I was trying to rebuild my prayer life after a very difficult pregnancy where I just kind of took a hiatus from almost everything it felt like. And it became to the point where I didn't want to pray anymore. And so I started off by saying, I'm going to tithe my time. So if I have only 33 minutes to myself 
which is most days. If I have 30 free minutes, I give God three minutes at the beginning. So I'm gonna just give God that first 10%. And if it's only three minutes, well, you know what? It feels a lot less overwhelming yeah. than saying, oh, I gotta sit down and have this whole routine and this whole long list of prayers I'm gonna go through. Before we get onto the next strategy, I wanna make sure to touch on something that you pointed out in the book early on, which is that similar to a workout regimen, or trying to grow in something like fitness or something, some skill in, in life. Um, virtue is the same way that you always need to be pushing yourself further. And um, so why is it not enough to just kind of have virtue, practice it at the same level? Yeah, why is that not enough? I, I like to think of the virtues as almost the muscles of our soul. Mm -hmm. That if you're weight training, if you're trying to build any muscle, you have to keep, you actually have to push yourself beyond what you're capable of doing. So when you're lifting the weights, if you just lift five pound weights 10 times, or you just do that same thing every day, you'll be consistent, that's yeah. great, but you're not gonna grow the muscle at all. Yeah. You actually, what do they say? You actually break the muscle, you kinda. Yeah, yeah, you have to break it down, yeah. and then that's why you have to have recovery days, because you have mm -hmm. to allow the muscle to basically heal itself, repair itself, yeah. And so you're pushing your muscle beyond what it can actually do, yeah. so that it then can do that. Yeah. And this is, um, that it sounds strategy. exhausting. It sounds exhausting. <laughs> I know, that's what I thought when I read it. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't get to just have the virtue and stay. It doesn't just get to like stay with me. I have to like constantly push it. Yeah, that's why even sometimes <laughs> we talk about virtue the way we say like, oh, that other person has prudence or I have courage. Uh -huh. We can say that in a sense, but it's also not like a thing we collect and put up on our shelf and there I'm done. Yeah. Uh, it's our character. It's it's who we are, mm -hmm. and we always are. <laughs> so the virtues are always either at play or not at play. Yeah. So I, I make the analogy there with weight training that if you want to build muscle, you have to exert yourself beyond. You have to increase the intensity. You have yeah. to go beyond the strength of your muscle. Same thing with the virtues. Is yeah. that if you're not acting beyond the level of your virtue, um, then you're either going to stagnate or or backslide. Mm -hmm. And this is what can be challenging again with these New Year's resolution and, and everything like that is. Sometimes we question, why am I not getting better? You know, I'm doing the same thing. Um, why am I still getting frustrated? Well, are you pushing yourself more? Mm -hmm. Like with weight training, you wouldn't say, you know, why am I not getting any stronger if you're just lifting the same amount, the yeah. same number of repetitions? Yeah. So yeah. you do have to push yourself, and that's where virtue increases. This is I call the strategy "fake it till you make it." You have to actually act more virtuous than you really are in order to become virtuous. Mm -hmm. You have to act beyond the intensity of your virtue. Yes, I, I love that one because I think imagining, you know, like Matthew Kelly says, the best version of yeah. yourself, maybe that's a little trite at this point or something, I don't know. Um, but I love Matthew Kelly, he's great. But imagining and envisioning that and then actually acting that way and actually becoming, you know, living out that that person's life as though it's not yours, but it actually is, and then you're actually growing into virtue. Um, what would you say to someone who is, uh, maybe at a point where they feel a little stuck and they don't feel like they have the opportunity to push themselves. Mm -hmm. um, like I know for many of my single years, I I had things the way I wanted them just because you know, I, I worked at the same job and I, I didn't have people constantly pushing me for certain phases of my life. You know, Do you just kind of enjoy those little times of respite or should you always be looking for opportunities to stretch yourself? Yeah, you mentioned before how it sounds exhausting, and I would yeah. say it does seem exhausting if you look at it, you know, the whole picture at once, all these different virtues that there are, uh, trying to grow in all of them, but if you take it just a piece at a time, if you think, okay, I'm going to focus on this one virtue, mm -hmm. 
When you work on one virtue, you're actually going to be working on all of them too, mm -hmm. because we are one integrated person. Virtue integrates us. So whenever you work on one virtue, you actually work on all of them. Cool. So you just focus on one virtue that you want to, and again, you can work in simple ways, small ways. You don't have to do these giant things. If you're comfortable, I, I think that's also a good opportunity to, to question, okay, is there something I can be doing? Can I improve mm. myself more? Um, to push ourselves beyond that. Yeah, yeah. I think um, one of my regrets is that I look back at my single years and I saw where I was pushing myself so hard professionally, but I wasn't pushing myself in terms of virtue. And I look back and I, I didn't realize how like hard marriage was going to be and how um, I'd say parenthood is, is probably harder than marriage for me at this point. And I wish that I had done more. I wish I had gone out of myself in very practical ways to go to my married friends. I've talked about this on the podcast before, but to go to my married friends who had little children and just give them a break and just say, I'm donating my evening to you. You guys go out and have a date because, you know, I just, there wasn't that awareness yeah. to say like, oh, I should push myself in this way um, and make a gift of myself. So uh, that's, yeah, I guess that's, this podcast is just full of things that I put out in the world, and that's one thing that I will put out to my past yeah. self <laughs> um, or anyone who is in my position as a single person. But it, it does sound exhausting, but I think it's good to also address the role of emotions in acquiring mm -hmm. virtue because it's not supposed to be, it is supposed to be exhausting in one sense, but your emotions are actually supposed to, you're actually supposed to enjoy yeah. having virtue. So can you talk about that interesting interplay of emotion and what role they play in acquiring yeah, virtue? Yeah, I think there, there's, this is actually, a very important concept, I think, especially for our culture, because we have a suspicion of joy in a way that mm -hmm. if I'm enjoying myself, then that makes me selfish. Oh, I'm actually yeah. doing something wrong. That's messed up. <laughs> um, so let me just kind of give this example and then we can get into that. But when we look to movies, we look at movies and, and sometimes we find a character that's totally virtuous and we think, how boring, right? What a, like a, it's a flat character, poorly written. We look at somebody who struggles a lot what Aquinas would call a continent person. They can contain their emotions, but they don't yet fully enjoy doing the good thing. They struggle, they have to overcome that. And we look at them and we think like, wow, these great people. Mm. So it's strange that in our culture, we find the continent person to be more praiseworthy than the virtuous person. Interesting. When in reality, the virtuous person is more praiseworthy. So what does that have to do with? Well, one is I think, it could be partly bad writing, that we just yeah. don't know how to write a virtuous yeah. character in a way that's interesting. And maybe it's because we don't, no virtue well enough. Yeah. Um, let's take Jesus as an example. Jesus is the most interesting person. Yeah. He's the most virtuous person. Um, completely unpredictable. Yeah. But I say there's only two type of people that are unpredictable. Um, virtuous people and then um, insane people. Right? <laughs> so they're unpredictable because you never know what they're going to do. Yeah. That's the virtuous true. person. When you look at Jesus, we've all heard the stories. Yeah. But if you read the Gospels with fresh eyes... As you're going through, he probably never does what you expect him to do. They ask him a question, oh, I, didn't, I wouldn't have responded that way, I didn't expect that. Or, mm -hmm. oh yeah, he's going to stone this person. Oh no, he didn't. Right? Oh, you never know what he's going to do, but in hindsight mm -hmm. it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. So that's what virtue gives us. Virtue is what frees us to be creative, dynamic, spontaneous. Mm -hmm. Vice is the opposite. That's what's boring and predictable. Because we're enslaved. Exactly. We're disintegrated and we're enslaved to our addiction of sin, whatever that is. I think you yeah. can make a lot of money off people who are vicious because you can make bets and win them because you'll be able to predict what they'll do. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> because sin, it's not creative. We think God is good, God is creative. Sin mm -hmm. just corrupts what's already there. 
Right. So that was all to just explain that virtue should be the most exciting thing. Now we find continence. So what is continence? The virtuous person, if it's creating harmony in us, mm -hmm. so our thinking, our choices, our emotions are all going to work together, which means I know what I should do. I choose it. I do it. And I also enjoy it. Yes. Now that's the hardest part right there. Yeah. Continence comes a little easier. I know what I should do. I choose it. I do it. But maybe I still would rather do something else. So I get home from work and I'm exhausted and I just want to sit down on the couch and watch mm -hmm. TV or whatever. And then my neighbor says, Hey, can you help me with my shed? <sighs> right? Like I know yeah, that that's like, what I should do. Yeah. No, I'm watching TV, it. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But the virtuous person, right? There might be some aspect of like, Oh, you know, I would have liked to, to rest, but there's still also this, but I enjoy helping. Right? Yeah. I do want to, mm -hmm. I, I feel more fulfilled in doing this. And don't think of it as a selfish sense. It's, it's unavoidable. Yeah. Sometimes we think if we have any enjoyment of what we're doing, we're being selfish and we've got ulterior motives and all that. That's scrupulous, right? That's yeah, I would say it's scrupulous. Yeah. And it, it comes from some enlightenment philosophers who would, who would basically say that mm -hmm. and say, you have to be altruistic. It's impossible. We can't eliminate. That's part of who we are as humans. Mm -hmm. God hardwired us to enjoy being good because yeah. he wants us to be happy. So you can't eliminate it. You shouldn't try to, but this is the mark of the virtuous person that you will enjoy doing the good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's interesting. And it's kind of such a, it's such a journey to get there mm -hmm. that, um, cause we have to push through at the, for many stages. I mean, it makes virtue seem almost unachievable in a sense, mm -hmm. right? Because if you're not virtuous, if you're not fully enjoying it, you are a continent person who does the right thing, but your, your emotions aren't fully integrated yet. So I can think of like some examples in my life where I can say like, Oh yeah, I think I have that virtue. But a lot of it is sure, much yeah. more incontinent. You but know, I think in the there's probably more than you expect too. I hope so. I sure like hope doing so. your podcast. You enjoy doing that. I, this is yeah. a virtuous activity. You're trying to get the hey. message out there. And That's even cool. with your kids, they're, you know, you can get frustrated with them, but I also think, you know, yeah. you do enjoy it. At the yeah. end of the day, it's like, okay, maybe not everything went the way I wanted it to, but right. this yeah. is what I love doing. Yeah. And that's one of the things I set out to talk about when I was having this whole conversation about discernment and what, why I started this podcast was because I had this realization that God does fundamentally want you to be happy. Mm -hmm. And, um, everybody that I've talked to and, uh, so many people who are way smarter than I am, who I really respect, nobody's ever said, no, that's not true. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's my theory that I'm proving more and more with, with every episode. Um, and that at the, what I believe is that at the core, at the base of your desires is that deepest desire that you have, you have a lot of surface level desires. Like, you know, I would like to have a milkshake right now and whatever, but that's not a very deep desire. But underneath that is another desire for some kind of fulfillment. And underneath that is another desire. And at the core of your desires is your truest self is this person that God created you to be. And it's not different than God's desire for you. It's not, it's, it's an integrated God wanted you to be this person, and that person is also the person that you most want to be. Yeah, I think that's that's completely right. Uh, when I think of discernment, a lot of times the image people have in their mind, I think, is that God has this plan for you, and he's buried it in that field, and he's given you a shovel, and he says, go find it, right? Yes. No map, no nothing. And so if you don't find it, well, you missed out. And missed out. Salvation is sinned. yeah. Salvation like is out that. the window. Forget about that. Now, maybe that God does know. He knows us best. He knows us better mm -hmm. than we know ourselves. We may know what will make us happiest, but he's just trying to guide us to that. And it can happen in strange ways. I know in my own life, I didn't think I was going to be a theology professor. Mm -hmm. 
um, I'm glad I am, and I know that that was a call, but mm -hmm. I remember when I was young, I wanted to be an actor, and a lot of people know me might be like, that That sounds kind of weird. <laughs> but Knowing you I now, I'm, I am surprised to hear that. I didn't know that. I wanted that. to be an actor, That's interesting. and then maybe some other things in between. I went into college as an English major because I wanted to write, mm -hmm. and somehow, you know, I, I switched to theology, and I just went through it, became a theology professor, and now I've got a book out, and I realized that I'm acting every single class I teach. Not because I'm like putting on voices or anything, yes. but you do have to leave behind what's going on in your life and come into the classroom and be energetic and all that. Yeah. So yeah. it's like these things, right? I, I thought I knew what I wanted. Yeah. But God is guiding me towards something else. And this is a, right, I look at Hollywood now, it's like, I, I would never want to be an actor. Right. I would much rather take this. Yeah. Actually, it's similar in my life. If you had told me when I was, 18 that this is what my life would look like now I would have been so severely disappointed yeah. <laughs> because I had to live that first dream first And then I kind of had to live all that and let that dream die and wonder what the heck was I gonna do next with all my desires and then have this new form of that dream resurrect in a completely different way mm -hmm. in order to realize that oh, yeah I actually really love my life a lot more now when we have to make sacrifices we're talking about Virtue and, and how is it possible you can enjoy it? But yeah, if we think of more of this abiding contentment, hopefully, you know, um, when Aquinas talks about feeling that joy, sometimes it comes in the form of pleasure. He, he uses the mm. example of martyrdom. He says, for the martyr, it's sufficient to just not be sad about it. <laughs> okay. So I think it's one of those things where it's great when we can feel like, yeah, happy, excitement, yeah. and all that. More often will be this abiding kind of underlying joy and contentment. Mm. As long as we're not just like, oh my, you know, I don't want to be doing this, and you got disgust or misery or whatever toward it. Yeah, that's that's a sign that you haven't yet reached virtue. So it's one thing, you know, I just sat down on the couch and then the neighbor asked me to help him with his shed. It's you know, as long as I'm like, oh come on, or making a big deal out of yeah. it, and then when I'm with them, like. Okay, yeah, you know, yeah. just being kind of yeah. a jerk. Not being willing. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, as long as it's not, you're not feeling those negative, but, you know, it mm -hmm. could still be virtue. Um, mm -hmm. But probably by the end of it, you're like, I'm glad I did that. Yes. Because otherwise I was just going to waste my night watching whatever that yeah. I'm going to forget about. Your sense of fulfillment yeah. would be much greater. And then every time you see your neighbor's shed, you're like, oh, I have, yeah. you know, a little satisfaction there. Like, I helped with that. Yeah, I helped my neighbor. Yeah, and it's interesting as you're saying that because you mentioned the, doing the podcast and evangelization is a virtuous mm -hmm. thing. For me, this makes me feel so alive having yeah. interviews. I love it. It's, but then it's interesting because the more virtuous thing so often is to actually help my children sure. or do a diaper change. And so even though I'm doing this thing that makes me feel so alive and happy and yeah. fulfilled, it is no longer virtuous when another obligation takes mm -hmm. over. And that is definitely where um, the moral life is so interesting because it has to be right in that particular situation. Yeah. So if you're if you're doing something virtuous, but you should be doing something else more virtuous then the thing that you're doing is no longer virtuous, right? Yeah. There's certain evils that we yeah. can always avoid and should always avoid, but in terms mm -hmm. of goods, there's so many different goods out there that we can choose, good things that we can do. Yeah. And it, you know, if we did the same good all the time, we would act, it would cease to be a good for us. Like if, if we just said, mm -hmm. okay, there's nothing better than praying, so I'm just going to pray all the time. And then I get fired from my job because I'm not working and my children starve and right. And then it's, it's a not very good. <laughs> it's a bummer. <laughs> so right. we it's need to be able to balance those things. Yeah, absolutely. And that, yeah, that's just fascinating. You hear certain stories like, um, I love reading the diary of St. Faustina mm -hmm. and you know, yeah. she asks for permission sometimes to take on special penances or prayers. Mm -hmm. And 
um, like long, you know, praying all night or like not eating anything for days. And sometimes her, you know, the, the mother superior denies those because she's like, you have your work. You have to be able to be present. You can't take the, on these special penances because physically you'll be too exhausted. Mm -hmm. And in certain circumstances, she just tells her like, just go to bed. Like, just, yeah. <laughs> just go to sleep. You need to sleep. And I think that's, that's so interesting. Like our making sure that everything aligns with our, what's appropriate at that time. Yes. And is that, would you say there's, um, I'm trying to remember in the book, if you gave a set of rules that kind of govern that, that's just judgment, right? That's just looking at the situation yeah. and just being a person of maturity who can kind of take God's view of things. Is it that takes right? prudence. So prudence is this virtue. It's, it's both intellectual and moral. Mm -hmm. It's intellectual because it's about how we see the world, but it's moral because it actually makes us make the right decisions. Right. The difficulty with prudence is that it takes experience. Mm. And it's really hard without life experience to know what works and what doesn't work. And you, you find when you're younger, you're very idealized and you think like, oh, I'm just going to do this and this is my plan for my life and all that. And then when you really do it, you realize, why isn't it working the way I thought? Or it always worked before, why doesn't it now? You need that experience. We don't always have it. So one of the chapters, the strategy is to actually look to the virtuous person, find somebody who is an example that we can imitate. And this is what Aquinas and Aristotle would say, especially for young people, if you don't have that experience, find somebody who does that have that experience and imitate them. Yeah. Uh, question them, talk with them. What would you do? Seek their advice. Mm -hmm. Now as Christians, we've got, we've got it even better because you don't have to go out and find that person. Jesus is wisdom itself. Yeah. Um, Christ dwelling within us, the Holy Spirit being within us yeah. can be that uh, that wise person giving yeah. us the advice and so many saints too because mm -hmm. yeah. they're all so many manifestations of God of, of God's life on earth here, but lived out well and I think you know there's so many saints I just love learning about more and more and more saints and there's a saint for every like for everything yeah. you know we've canonized so many people at this point that there's a saint for for homemakers and a saint mm -hmm. for for any profession pretty much um, even now for like programmers, you know, yeah. like Carlo Q or blessed Carlo Cutis, he's on his way. He's going to be a saint soon. Um, but yeah, so, so that's really, that's, that's pretty neat. And I think going back to something you were saying earlier about how Hollywood, um, doesn't write interesting virtuous roles. Yeah. Um, I think you're right about that. But I think when I, when I see examples in my life of virtuous people who are happy, mm -hmm. when I really think about it, I can. I can see that those, I can see those people in my life. It's not something that I see expressed on a, a big screen yeah. anywhere, but it's more just in my own life. There's people who have a happiness and a peace about them. And maybe those are the people that you go to for, for your inspiration. Yeah. Maybe it's some, it's just hard to convey in that media, that medium yes. of, te of television or movies, but you were yeah. drawn to these people and what yeah. do they have that I don't have? And why didn't they react this way? I would have flipped out. Why, why do they have this calmness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How are I, they smiling? Look at all the suffering in their life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, fun fact, there are, what, 44 virtues at least? Um, at least. At least. There might be over 50. There <laughs> might be over 50, yeah. But they all are different um, manifestations of the four cardinal yes. virtues, right? Okay, and you talk about that prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude are the four cardinal virtues. Um, and... So how can you, if you're struggling and you're like, I need this virtue, how can you use one virtue that you already have mm -hmm. to leverage getting other virtues that you need? This is one of the, my favorite strategies to talk about because, I don't know, it's, it's, it's kind of a secret, um, mm -hmm. but it shouldn't be. 
we mentioned that, you know, how many virtues are there? 40, 50, we can name patience, chastity, um, piety, friendship, all these different things. Mm -hmm. But really they, they come under these four main virtues. Prudence, which is going to help us to think right, choose mm -hmm. the right, um, know what we should do. Justice, which is going to perfect our relationships with others, make sure that we're choosing the right things. Mm -hmm. And then fortitude or courage and temperance are the ones that help us with our emotions, making yes. sure that some emotions we just have with anything that we sense. Mm. Sometimes we only feel certain emotions when there's some difficulty or obstacle. So usually fear, anger, hope, despair, mm -hmm. usually when there's some big obstacle. So anyway, these four virtues help us to bring all those into harmony for the good. Mm -hmm. Harmony, right? So we're a united person, virtues integrating us. So as I referenced before, whenever we work on one virtue, it's actually going to help with the other virtues as well. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we get in a rut where I'm trying to work on this virtue and I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm not getting anywhere. What do I do? We've already said, okay, maybe make a drastic change, make small changes. Maybe that's still not working. Yeah, yeah. Work on a different virtue. It seems counterintuitive. Hmm. But for example, if um, you are struggling with courage, um, I don't take, I don't do confrontations well. And I see injustices occurring at work. The, this person's not being treated well by coworkers or maybe my friend is being picked on and mm. I know I should do something, but I'm just not brave enough. Yeah. Well, don't focus on courage, focus on justice. What do I owe to this person? Mm. I owe this person to stand up for them. Um, and just don't even think about like, Am I worried about it or how do I feel? Right. Just focus on like, this is what I owe this person. I think mm. chastity is another place. Um, a lot of people struggle with lessons. What do I owe to this person that I'm talking to right now? Do I owe mm. thinking about, you know, fantasizing, whatever? Or do I owe paying attention to what they have to say, treating them as a human being? What do I owe to my spouse, right, if you're married? Um, right. And if you focus on that justice, you'll grow in the justice, you'll do the right thing, mm -hmm. and that will start to habituate you in those other virtues. Yeah. When you act justly, you're also acting courageously and temperately, so you are practicing those virtues, yeah. but they may come more easily because you're focusing on one that you're already better at. That's awesome. Yeah, that's so good because um, you know we all have our we all have our like triggers yeah. and our ticks and our things in our past that we just that really get us and it seems like you can't move past it. But it's like no, you don't have to. You don't have to go through. You can go around and still get to where you're going. How would that work in a practical? Mm -hmm. Can you give another practical yeah, example? I like will. yeah. Well, but like how do you how do you decide which virtue you do have so that you can leverage it? That if that makes sense. Even before that baseline, you mentioned earlier um, knowing yourself. And I think this this is the first step, is that you need to examine your conscience. You need to look at where are my strengths, where are mm -hmm. my weaknesses, because nobody, nobody's the same. Yeah. So there are those four virtues, but even within the virtues, those sub-virtues, some might come easier to us than others. Mm -hmm. So you need, a, you need a first look at yourself and say, okay, what, what do I struggle with more? Mm -hmm. Which seem to be my stronger virtues? Now, we might get it wrong, because mm -hmm. sometimes yeah. we think we have virtue when we don't, but that's yeah. okay, right? You work with what you have now. And... Not only does it work across the different virtues, it works within a virtue. So yeah. let's take temperance. Temperance is just moderation. So it could be moderation in eating, mm -hmm. drinking, uh, relaxation, exercising, all these different mm -hmm. things. And there have been scientific studies that have shown that this actually works, especially when it comes to dieting. Mm. People struggle with dieting and they can't keep the diet and all that. And they say a good tactic is... Yes, you want to try to be eating well, but make sure that you sleep the right amount, you get to mm -hmm. sleep at the same time, you are taking time to 
exercise, not like to lose weight, but just to, you know, go for a walk or something like that. Having an active lifestyle. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Make sure that you do have time for that relaxation. Make sure that you do have that mm -hmm. social time, that you do have um, a good schedule. And working on those other parts of temperance help with the dieting. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Because then you're not you're not gonna eat out of legitimate hunger, or you're not gonna be hungry all the time. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna have your other when you get enough sleep. You know, you're not gonna want to compensate for that with a with a cookie to help you stay yeah. awake. Yeah, that's yeah. So true. sometimes it's practical if you're sleeping, you're not eating. Right. right? So sometimes yeah. it's practical. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Sometimes a lot with virtue is just, it's just practical. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah. um, I'm struggling with this. Well, then stop doing that. Right. I'm struggling yeah. with. Um, I'm struggling with. Um, getting angry. Well, what music are you listening to? Yes. What what group of friends do you have? What what are your normal conversations? I'm struggling with um, treating the, the other sex with respect. Okay, again, what music are you listening to? What movies are you watching? Yeah. What is your humor? You mm -hmm. know the jokes that you make with people. Yeah. Sometimes very practical. Just you know, you cut some of that out. You are what you eat, in a way. Yeah. Right. You are what absolutely. you consume. So you, you cut out that consumption. Replace it with something good. Mm -hmm. That's always an important part, not just to cut out but to but I think one of the big things that happens is you can start to look at discernment as this game of winning and losing yeah. and instead of becoming a virtuous person which I think is really the end goal like God doesn't have this at least I think God doesn't have this one blueprint for your life and if you get it wrong you know salvation is is beyond your reach but what would you say to yeah do you, first of all do you agree with that and then what do you have to say about how discernment integrates with virtue I agree that in, at the world the world at large tends to, their problem is that they just don't recognize and there's a laxity there, right? We don't yeah. want to think about morality. Mm -hmm. um, if we're raised in a good Catholic Christian environment, sometimes scrupulosity is the problem. Right, which is the other end of... The other extreme. The other extreme, exactly. So we want that virtue that's in between, mm -hmm. laxity and scrupulosity, doing your due diligence, mm -hmm. but, but within reason. Mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes this comes to discernment as well, I think, that God has this specific plan and if I veer from that at all, he's going to hate me, I'm going to be sinning, or all that. Yeah. God does have plans for us, but the ultimate plan is he wants us to enjoy him forever in, in heaven. Yeah. That he wants us to participate in his divine nature, to have... I love that when Jesus says, I've come to give you life into, so that you have it abundantly. Yes. That's what's so beautiful. The life of virtue is this abundant life. Mm -hmm. And then we get to heaven... Uh, C.S. Lewis does this well in The Great Divorce, um, this idea that right now when we think of heaven, it almost seems like a dream. Hmm. We know, we, we believe that it exists, we want to get there, but we can't picture it Yeah. because it transcends this life. Yeah. But when we get to heaven, we're going to be united with God who is being. Mm -hmm. So heaven's going to be so real that this world's going to feel like a dream. Hmm. Um, not yeah. to say this world's unimportant because the choices we make in this world develop our character and determine if we get to heaven. Yeah. But heaven will be so real that this whole life will seem like the blink of an eye. It'll seem like um, um, almost dreamlike. But everything that we developed here gets perfected in heaven. So all yeah. of our relationships and virtues and all that. Mm -hmm. So that's ultimately what he wants. Uh, whatever vocation, whatever in vocation here, I mean like lowercase v, whatever job you, you make or whatever, you can be virtuous in any position. Mm -hmm. right? Virtue is always an option. There's never a situation where there's not a virtuous thing to do. Uh, I, I believe there's no true moral dilemma. There's always a virtuous choice. Now that might be martyrdom, right? If we're going to get extreme, yeah. but there's always a virtuous action we can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I um, love it. Yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. have more? more sure, I want to give you a chance in case you want to. No, this in. is all. This is fabulous. Keep but so, 
God knows us better than we know ourselves, so he knows what will make us most happy. He wants that happiness mm -hmm. for us. So he might know, okay, you're going to be happiest doing as a priest. Mm -hmm. Maybe you don't choose a priesthood. You choose to get married. Mm -hmm. God doesn't abandon you. Right. He still wants you, right? He still wants you in heaven forever. He wants you to be happy, and he, want, and he can make you happy yeah. in this vocation. It might be a little harder for you than it would have been otherwise, because now maybe you're not quite acting exactly in line with how he knows you best, but you're not sinning, right? He's still going to work with you. He doesn't right. abandon you. And that doesn't have to do with a moral, like a, if you say you might not be as happy or mm -hmm. you might not, it might not come as easily to, that would be more because it might be something that you're less inclined to yeah. naturally. So you may have to work harder to make those virtuous choices. Yeah. Um, and, but it's not, it's not to say that God is not with you through that. And exactly. it's not to say that you've, chosen something that is now morally bad. It's yeah. still good. It's oh, still yeah. a good thing. And that's yeah. an important point when it comes to scrupulosity. A lot of times um, people conflate different things that are separate. So they mm -hmm. conflate mistakes with sin, right? Mm -hmm. So we can commit mistakes that aren't sins because for a sin, you have to will it. You have to have chosen it. Yes. And some mistakes aren't, aren't chosen by us. But another, another thing is um, sometimes conflating vice and sin. Mm. Um, vice is always the occasion for sin, mm -hmm. but it's not always sin. I think some vices may be. But for example, cowardice, if I'm afraid of clowns, I'm not. But if I were... <laughs> really? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to take you Why to a circus after this. first example? <laughs> um, we're going to go to a, a circus with your family and I'll, right. I'll watch you very closely. <laughs> <laughs> if I just have this fear of clowns, that in itself isn't a sin. But if it leads me to punch a clown or you know, avoid a duty because I'm trying to avoid the clowns. Then Sorry, I'm just imagining Sorry, I'm totally derailing your very good point with just image of you punching a clown. That's a good one. So okay. so yeah. I think we okay, so sometimes we conflate sin and mistakes, sometimes we yes. conflate sin and vice, although we always want to avoid vice because it's always an imperfection. Yes. But it's not always a sin. Right. Um, it's the occasion for sin. Okay. And then the last thing, well, maybe not the last, but another thing that we can conflate is um, choosing a lesser good with sin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that when we, in the faith, we've said that there are some evils that we can ever do. Yeah. But there are many different goods, and we have to choose between them. Some goods are objectively better than other goods, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean they're subjectively better. So Jesus says the religious life is, is better than marriage, so it's objectively higher, mm -hmm. but unless you're called to the religious life, marriage is actually subjectively better for you. So for mm. most people, marriage is actually more fulfilling. So if we get in this mindset of, oh, uh, the religious life is what's most perfect, that's what I have to do, and mm -hmm. oh, I can't make it, I'm, I'm gonna get married, oh, I'm sinning by marrying, that, that's ridiculous, right? Yeah. How could a sacrament be a sin? Yes, absolutely. Actually, I, I'll link it uh, in the show notes, but it's reminding me of a, an article that I was just um, asked to write for Catholic Exchange, and it was about how do I find that like big thing that I'm supposed to do yeah. with my life. And my thesis and my, my point that I wanted to get across to people was like, do the best you can with exactly right where you are yeah. now, because there's no alternate life that you're missing. There's no life that you should be living other than this one right now. And yeah. so to a lot of times you kind of think of your life as going along a track, you know, and, and I should be on this other track, this track towards religious yeah. life, or if I hadn't chosen that, I would be on this track going this way, but I'm here and I shouldn't be here. And the truth is like, God is right here. God is what in what is real. So I completely wholeheartedly agree with what you said. And um, as John and I were talking about this article, he thought of this great analogy that ended up making it into the article about how, like if I were to take my children out for ice cream, mm -hmm. I would not want them to 
be agonizing and crying over whether chocolate or vanilla is going to be better for them. Well, like, yeah, which one's going to make you happy? I want to do what mommy wants. Right, yeah, yeah I, mommy wants me to have vanilla, so I'm going to get it, but I you really know, I wanted chocolate. chocolate. Yeah. yeah, and and also, you know, as we're eating our ice cream together, I don't want my kid to be sitting there wondering, would chocolate have tasted better and I got mm -hmm. vanilla? Like, God, like me as the parent, I would take my children out for ice cream because I want to do something good with them and I want to enjoy time with them. And I don't want them to sit there and agonize about, you know, I want them to choose something that they like. Yeah. And so often, this is not always the case in discernment, but so often that's what God wants us to do. It's like, yeah. he's like, choose what you like. Like you, you get to choose. You just know, your, you know, find out who you are and you get to pick. And as long as you're close to me, I'm happy with that. It's, yeah. it's a lot simpler than we want to make it. It's a good example. It's like, if, if we go about discernment by thinking like, what do I think God wants me to do? And just ignore kind of where our heart is, yeah. um, right, then then we're not actually figuring out what he wants for us. Right, um, exactly. And now, again, we could be surprised, like I thought, oh, I'm going to be an actor, I'm going to be this, or I'm going to be that, it ended up being different. Mm -hmm. But if you have this rigid, like, okay, it must be this, anytime you feel being yourself being pulled, you're going to think like, oh, this is just a temptation, or, you know, it's a sin, yes. or something like that. You don't trust yourself. And really, that might be God calling you, saying, yeah. um, there's something about acting, right, that you're going to enjoy, but it's not in acting. Right. But you might have to go through that like I did. Yeah. I always say, like, I don't regret my my acting yeah. career because it led me to where I am. Because if if I had been just looking out for this sign from God and he says, oh, you're going to be a stay-at-home mom, you know, yeah. and I would have been like, no way. Like, you're not giving, you want to take away what I want, you yeah. know? And yeah. so there would have been this resentment there. The better path was for me to go ahead and live that and then kind of... Um, figure out for myself that while that base desire was still there, those kind of core deeper desires, they were going to manifest as something totally different than I originally thought. And I had to like grow through it. So yeah, this is, yeah. Heaven, heaven and God are the fulfillment of all desire. We say in mm -hmm. theology. So right. Those desires that God has placed in your innermost being, heaven is going to be that fulfillment. And yeah. um, we have to be honest with ourselves though and discern because sometimes we've got bad desires. Yes. And so we don't just want to follow those. We're not just saying like anything that you want. God wants me to just sit around and eat food all day, right? That's Agreed. not his vocation for you. But, True. Yeah. Do you mind if we actually stop here? Okay, thank you. Well, thank you so much. I, we have a child coming <laughs> in crying, so I got to attend a little one, but thank, thank you so, so much. much. Yeah, if this I can just say too, so the, the book is available on ascensionpress.com slash saintly habits yep that's ascensionpress.com slash saintly habits i will link to that if my daughter's crying in the background is drowning out what andrew's saying <laughs> find a link in the show notes for sure it's going to be there go buy the book it's really good and it's it's excellent it's just excellent in every way like you so oh, thank you for being here thank you thank you for having me on once again, thank you so much for tuning in today to Called and Caffeinated. Submit some questions to me if you have any for my show. And if I can't answer them, I will find someone wiser than I am who can. I would love hearing from you all. I do not always answer people in a timely manner, so I appreciate your patience. But I will get back to you eventually when you reach out on my website, which is stacysummero.com. And of course, until next time, please stay caffeinated. If you want to chat with me, um, twice a month. I have a wonderful Patreon community and I will drop that link into the show notes as well. But until I see you next time for coffee, God bless you.